Uh, yeah, I was working in the yard, trying to pick up the last of the leaves. Why? Why did leave the leaves? Leave the leaves. <laughs> That's why they're called leaves. That's why they're called leaves. <laughs> just would like to remind you that none of the things that we say should be taken as official recommendations. We try to know what we're talking about, but this podcast ultimately represents the opinions of a couple yahoos with master's degrees. It's (laughs) mainly for entertainment. Right. So if you feel that you need help with your own mental health, we encourage you, please talk to your very own doctor or your very own counselor. Get real help. And remember, this podcast is not safe for work, so listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips. The podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. And... Sorry, we were gone for a long time. <laughs> Did you think that we lost? Oops. We got lost? We forgot to Oops. do a podcast. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't forget. We didn't. Life got in the way. Life and, has and been the getting COVID's in the way. COVID's in the way. And the COVID's are in the way. There's There was traveling happening. There was, it was just, there was a lot of things yes. happening. Yeah. And we're in holiday time, which is weird always mm-hmm. for scheduling. So yeah, sorry, but we're back. Hello. We got How's through October and we just didn't know how to recover. <laughs> it's too much. It's too much spook. We, November is too hard for us. Yeah. But we are we are back. We are ready. We're raring to go. We are. <laughs> Speak for yourself, girl. We're raring to go. That's not how I sound. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that was how you sounded. I was just doing a weird voice to try to liven things up, you know, get the thing going again. Sure. You know, get us back in the Get yourself raring to go. Okay. Okay. Uh, So before we start, I do want to do a quick little shout out. We got an unbelievably sweet email. I cried. I I cried as well. We both cried separately (laughs) when we read it. I made the mistake of reading it at work, and that was bad because I cried. It was just extremely sweet. It's from Lily. Hi, Lily. Hi, Lily. Hi. You made us both cry. I want to hug you, Lily, but you're very far away from us, so I probably won't be able to reach you. So just imagine that we're hugging you. Both of us at the same time right now. (laughs) That's what my mom used to do. That was only for Lily, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, everybody else stay out of that. (laughs) Stay out of our bear hug. I'm just kidding. You can be in the hug. (laughs) Everybody give me into hug. You can just replay it over and yeah. over again. <laughs> Whenever you're sad, just replay us giving Let's you a bear hug. Ready? Ugh. And the weird thing is, we're actually making. A yeah, we both just hugged our, our mics <laughs> and like flexed our massive. <laughs> I just popped my sleeves open, hugging like you so Hulk. hard. Oh, okay. A Got Hulk big hug. massive arms so I can hug my friends real tight. <laughs> but Lily was very sweet. Yes, thank we, you. We jest, but it was it affected us deeply. Yes. So, mom, I'm going to ask you this because you're the one that suggested this, and I'm curious to know how it came up. Uh, we are on episode 76. Hooray, hooray! What are we talking about today? Uh, it's been a while since we've done a person, mm-hmm. like uh, an episode on a person. So today we're going to do an episode on Mary Whiten Calkins. No relation to Macaulay. No. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> you tried really hard not to laugh. And it was a oh, good joke. You really got my my funny bone. Um Thanks. I think the reason that I that I chose her was because I think she's a very powerful character that we never hear about, first of all. I don't remember ever hearing about I know. her in school. But I mean she's very a good role model for women and a feminist baby. She was a feminist before there were feminists. No, she there's always been feminists. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> they just weren't called feminists. Yeah, I guess. What were they, they called? They were called suffragettes. <laughs> they were called tough women. Yeah. So as you go through her bio like you her do history. so well. Uh, we will all hear about her, how she's an amazing her story. woman. Her story. <laughs> <laughs> it's very punny today, Anna. Sorry. You're very punny, like, like dad puns or something. <laughs> <laughs> dad jokes. But they're not because you did them. So they're Anna puns. <laughs> they could okay. be dad puns. You don't know. <laughs> you stole them from a dad. Yeah. <laughs> I keep a dad chained up in my basement and every once in a while I go down and I'm like, give me some puns. Give me some wordplay. <laughs> and I might let you go. <laughs> I might let you go and then I never do. <laughs> I think, too, one of the reasons that I picked her was what brought her to my mind or to my... Attention. Attention. Thank you. My words are not flowing well today. I've got <laughs> I'm out yeah, of that's practice. Yeah, that's out of talking. <laughs> oh. Sorry. Mom only talks when we're on the podcast. She doesn't talk any other time. She so used to be in the basement, She's a little too. rough. <laughs> we all yeah. have cells in yeah. her basement minus... <laughs> 14B is so, the name of my <laughs> Some contractor is like, how many how many basements do you need? I'm like, at least 12. Don't ask. I keep all my loved ones locked <laughs> up. Um, she was the 14th president of the APA. That's why I she came to my attention, <laughs> was that I was reading about the APA. Oh, okay. And she was the first woman the to first do that. The first female president. Yes, the first of the woman. American Psychological Association. Mm-hmm. Which is the APA. APA is a pretty big deal to people like us. Yeah. People like us. <laughs> Just Redheads. Gingers who live in the Midwest. We all love the APA. We love it. We're into it. The APA is the, I'll kind of say like governing body of mm-hmm. counselors. Like they put out the ethics. No, that's the ACA. Just kidding. No, that is true. APA is, is that where the diagnostic manual comes in? No. Why why is the APA important? This is the thing I should know, right? Because they um are all about psychology. <laughs> why was I reading about them? I That's a really good question. Because I don't belong to the APA. I belong to it's the It's a style of citation that we had to learn when we were in grad school. Oh, maybe that's why it was ringing a bell with me. Yeah. But there's all oh, that stupid book that was just about that. Remember <laughs> that book? There was a whole book about APA style oh. that I had to hold every time I did a paper. <laughs> and Anna I just was guessed. just like, whatever, whatever. I'll just put this citation over there. And she got it all right, too. So. <laughs> I would put it through a filter online that put it all in the correct <laughs> format. That's so not fair. It is fair. But yeah, besides being a citation format for psychology grad students, it's, the, it's just a, an organization of psychiatrists and they do stuff. <laughs> They talk about psychology. Stuff. <laughs> talk about psychology stuff. Uh-huh. Okay, it's a big deal. Though, it's a big that deal. She was the president. Trust okay? us. Just, yeah. Hey, listen. I know we sound like we don't know what we're talking about, 
We're a little out of practice. I didn't right do now. any research on the APIA. Just did research on Mary. Okay. Well, then tell us about Mary. I think I will tell us about Mary. I think I will because she's actually really, really cool. So Mary Whiten Calkins was born March thirtieth, eighteen sixty three, in Hartford, Connecticut. She was the oldest of five, and I was going to mention it feels like the oldest is kind of a pattern in the people we've talked about. You're right. Is that a thing in psychology? The oldest is more likely to go into psychology for some reason. I'm an oldest. You did it. I did it. <laughs> you went into psychology. I'm not an oldest. You're a middleist. I'm a middleist, and I went into psychology. Mm-hmm. So I think, well, I think about- the oldest have that thing where they achieve, you know, they want to achieve great things. So I think that's one of the reasons. Right. I think they also have a caregiver thing. Mm. Oldest do. Sometimes. Yeah. I'm not sure about that with my brother, but I was just kidding. That's who I thought of when I said it. I was like, well, eh, some oldest, some oldest step all over their little siblings. Quite literally. Not that my brother would do that. <laughs> no, 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 never. But he definitely wouldn't go into psychology either. So. Yeah, that's true. Uh, from what I could find, her family was super close and a lot of her personal time kind of revolved around them. So I think she was just really, really close to them. In 1880, when she was about 17, she and her family moved from uh, Connecticut to Massachusetts because her father, who was Presbyterian minister, got a job there. So around this time was when she was kind of finishing high school and she was able to enroll in college at a sophomore level because of her studies. Unfortunately, only a year later, her sister died and Mary took a year off because of this. But as we'll learn, Mary can't be kept down for super long because even on her year, like, quote unquote, off, she was studying on her own. She was learning. uh, She was getting tutoring in Greek. She was also tutoring her two younger brothers. She did eventually return to Smith College to graduate, and her degree was in classics and philosophy. And after graduation, she took an 18-month trip to Europe. She specifically saw uh, Leipzig, Italy, and Greece, where she used her degree to look at the classics. And she basically kept studying. She basically kept learning. She was like a super achiever. She, yeah. Achiever. She like never wanted to stop studying things. Mm-hmm. She always wanted to keep learning more, uh, which I think is cool. I think that's a cool way to go through life. Like, Absolutely. We can always learn more. So eventually she got back to Massachusetts, where her dad set up an interview with the president of Wellesley College, which was an all-girls school, so Mary could uh, get a tutoring job in the Greek department, where she worked for three years. And, okay, I do want to mention, quick side note here, there are several times in the description of her life and her education where her dad is mentioned as facilitating things, and I just want you to keep that in mind, because it will come into play later. Mm-hmm. But Mary herself is a badass, and she excelled so much at teaching that a professor in the philosophy department at Wellesley offered her a position teaching psychology, which Wellesley was just starting to offer. Like, it was kind of a new thing that was popping up. And Mary was like, yeah, I can do that, but I need to study it first. She said she needed to study it for a year so she could teach it properly. So here in the career is where the limitations of being a woman in the field really started to pop up. The things that she had done up until now were actually pretty accepted at the time, like going to college even, getting a teaching job or a tutoring job. Those were all pretty typical for for women at the time. But Mary wanted more than that. Mary wanted to further her education. She looked- I, think, I think you should say, though, certain colleges, because there were certain colleges that weren't allowing women. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, but for like the things she had done up to this point were the not shocking. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
But she did look at several, and this is where that will come into play, what you just said, because she looked at several places as she thought about studying psychology. Actually, the thing that kind of limited her search the most was that she wanted to study in a lab setting. She Mm -hmm. wanted to be in a laboratory setting, and only a few schools were offering that at the time, specifically Clark and Harvard. Since Harvard was closer to her, and also probably because it was Harvard, uh, she chose to go there. But there was a problem. Women were not allowed to study there. Mm-hmm. Enter men again, <laughs> where Mary's dad and also the president of Wellesley actually uh, wrote letters to Harvard to basically ask them to admit Mary. Like, mm-hmm. like say, listen, just let her let her study there. And they sort of did. They let her sit in on lectures. She was not admitted as a student. She was just kind of there. Right. Uh, but they did let her sit in on lectures. What's that called when you take a course but you don't get graded for it? Auditing? Yes. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. She was kind of just doing that. Just sitting in there, yeah. Yeah. So, But she was learning everything they were teaching. Oh, yeah. She was sitting in there. Yeah, she probably just Probably better than anybody else in the room. Registered. Right. Yeah. So she started to take classes uh, in the Harvard Annex, which was later Redcliffe College. These classes were taught by Josiah Royce. He seemed like a cool guy. He actually pushed Mary to take regular classes. He was like, you know what? You deserve to be in there with the guys. Like, you deserve to be in the classes. Uh, And he actually put pressure on the president of the college to let her do this. Uh, Eventually, they did let her do this. She was able to be in regular classes. She still wasn't technically a student. She was being considered, like, a guest. Mm -hmm. It's stupid. That's stupid. She's doing it. Just just let her do it. (sighs) Whatever. They can't hear me. It was a really long time ago. It was a really long time ago. But it's still so frustrating. I mean, like, like reading about her life and knowing how smart she was and how determined she was, it's like, it is so frustrating Uh that she was not allowed to just do what, I mean, like, she still accomplished a lot, but think how far she could have gone if she was just, she didn't have to fight an uphill battle all the time. Exactly. So finally in classes, Mary was able to study under William James, who was actually the first educator to offer a psychology course in America. And Mary was really impressed by him. She wrote in her autobiography about her experience with him, What I gained from the written page, and even more from a -a tete-a-tete discussion, was, it seemed to me, as I look back upon it, beyond all else, a vivid sense of the concreteness of psychology, and of the immediate reality of finite individual minds with their thoughts and feelings. It's pretty cool. So yeah, she she learned that psychology isn't just a concept, it's a thing that we all use all the time. Right. Which is what we say a lot, too. Like, I... There are a lot of people I meet that they're like, oh, I have a psychology minor. And I'm like, good. Everyone should have a psychology <laughs> minor, obviously. Like, psychology is all of us all the time. Right, like, right. it helps to, Living life. Yes, it helps to learn the basics of psychology. Mm-hmm. And she also attributed her interest in the self to James's doctrine and his ideas. And even though she really respected him, she still wanted to focus on lab work. So she eventually moved to study with Edmund Sanford of Clark University, who trained Mary in lab procedures. Uh, Eventually, he actually helped her set up the first women's psychology lab at Wellesley College. And in 1891, she did just that. She went back to Wellesley as an instructor of psychology. And wouldn't you know it, the lab was super popular. (laughs) It went super well. Uh, With her first seminar, she had over 50 students. Wow. And a girl. That girl. Mm-hmm. 
with this success, it only just kind of spurred her on more. She's like, great, that went great. I want to learn more psychology. Exactly. Yeah, that's something that that is very common in Mary's life. She's never just quite happy, like, where she is. She's like, okay, I want to make it better. I want to do more Mm -hmm. stuff. So she's just, go, go, go. She's like the Energizer bunny. (laughs) But schools were still being entirely messed up about the whole gender thing and she still wasn't really sure to where to apply for this it was sanford who suggested that she seek out hugo munsterberg Munsterberg. say that three times Munsterberg. Munsterberg. uh in germany this is funny <laughs> really yes that yeah, was a German no one word. ever could have known <laughs> but Sanford found out about him and actually pushed her to seek him out because he saw a picture of Hugo in a lab with a woman. So he was like, oh, he must... <laughs> he likes women He must let lab. women in his labs, <laughs> so you should go work with him, which is just the funniest basis. Like, how far are you grasping at straws if that's what you're... <laughs> What you're looking for. Probably just some woman was walking I, through the lab when he took a picture. she wearing a coat? Was she wearing a lab coat? Or like, was she just like bringing coffee? I don't know. Dusting. She had a little dust <laughs> yeah. burner. And- so Mary went to William James and she said, hey, I, I want to study with this guy. And James was like, that's great news because he's coming to work at Harvard. Uh, so yeah, in, in three years, like for three years, she was studying with Hugo. Uh, they were really productive. They studied a lot of stuff. Mary got a lot of papers published, at least several papers. And this was also where she studied memory. She studied dreams and she developed her paired associations technique here, which is, I think the thing that she's most like famous for quote unquote, Mm -hmm. like that's the thing that she kind of focused on the most concretely. About Hugo, again, from her autobiography, she wrote that he was a man of deep learning, high originality, and astounding versatility. Wow. She was just really, she was like very complimentary, these people that she was working with. Like she really looked up to these guys. I think she was a really positive person. I think so too. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The stuff, like even later, I'll kind of talk about this a little more, but even the stuff that she fought against, she was never like negative about it. right. And yet, the BS continues <laughs> because in Wait a the- minute. I'm going to throw in the, just just a mommy note. Okay. Because <laughs> you know me and my weird spirituality what? stuff. I, uh-huh. I, I feel like God like orchestrated that, like put that together. Where like Hugo was coming yeah. to Harvard. Was like, what a coincidence. Oh, so, he's coming to Harvard. You want to work with him? Whoa. <laughs> yeah. The, he is the way that The way that it seemed when I read about it, it- like, because at first when I read it, I was like, so did that mean she asked William and William, like, contacted mm-hmm. Hugo and said, like, hey, you should come to Harvard to work? It sounded like he was already coming to Harvard. When I read it, that's the way I understood it. Yeah, like yeah, he was already like planning to come there. happening, yeah. Yeah. So. Might have been a God thing. I I'm just think saying. So. Something was happening. But during her time working with Hugo, Mary actually wrote her doctoral dissertation. It got published in 1896. Despite this, Harvard refused to grant her a doctoral degree. They just said no. Mm-hmm. It was only because she was a woman. Uh, she passed her exams. She had published her dissertation. But she wasn't considered a student. She was considered a guest. Barf. <laughs> Barf. Gross. How do you really feel about that, Yeah, oh, so stupid. <laughs> and, and like, I'm not the only, like, the people around her thought it was right. stupid, too. Like, William James. they James, all recognized her. Oh, exactly. Her. Yeah. Yes. yeah. They all saw how good she was. And, and William James actually wrote about it that she had the most brilliant examination for the PhD that we have had at Harvard. He was like. Wow. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Mm. 
Mm. Mm. It's it's annoying. But like I said, Mary herself was really classy about it in her writings. She wasn't resentful. She focused instead of saying like, wow, they should have let me do this or like, wow, I can't believe they didn't. She focused on how great the people around her, like the immediate people around her were, like how great it was to work with uh, all the people that she had worked with and how much they had opened the doors for her. I didn't write it word for word in my notes, but she said about one of the people that she worked with, Mm -hmm. uh, she wrote that they basically like threw open the doors of the lab for her. Mm-hmm. Like, she recognized that she was kind of lucky to come in contact with people mm-hmm. who did accept her, regardless of the higher-ups right. not. And that's really, to me, the, the focus of the story, because like you said, she could have been really negative, like, why won't they let me in and, right. you know, whine, 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 or whatever, or complain. But instead, she was, like, grateful for the opportunity, and she mm-hmm. recognized that it was pretty amazing that those men welcomed her in yeah you know because they were living in the same society where the men were who were turning her away exactly but those particular men understood and let her in yeah it seemed like i mean academia can be a really unforgiving place Mm -hmm. for anyone especially women especially in that time but the the men that were like immediately around her and like her her immediate instructors seemed to view her as anyone else, you know, mm-hmm. they, they like when they wrote about her, they wrote that she was brilliant and that she they recognized her gifts. I mean, I, I think that it was just the structure of the actual organizations that were messed up. But the the individual people that she had in her life were very supportive. Right. Which makes it even more frustrating to me, though, because it's like, OK, everyone around her recognized how brilliant she was. Like, uh, uh. she's a better woman than I. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I would not have been so charitable in my autobiography about that. But again, can't keep Mary down. Uh, once she had completed her education, she went back to Wellesley in 1895 as an associate professor of psychology. A few years later, she became the professor of psychology and philosophy, which allowed her to go back to her roots and kind of talk about the the like Greek and, and the classics and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And she also continued her experimental work. She started in 1900 publishing a lot of papers, over Mm -hmm. 100 papers and uh, four books from what I could see. In 1905, she was elected president of the American Psychological Association. And in 1918, she was elected to the American Philosophical Association. She was the first woman to hold a position in both societies. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Not only was she the first, like, woman president, she was the first woman to hold a position. Just like, she went straight to the top. (laughs) She was like, you know what? I'm going to kick through this glass ceiling real quick. I think it's pretty amazing that she was so accomplished in both psychology and philosophy. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah, but I think those are two disciplines that are pretty close Close together yeah Yeah. well you say that because you're an existentialist that's true i think everything is philosophy (laughs) yeah (laughs) she was also the first woman elected to honorary membership on the british psychological association Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she was awarded an honorary doctor of letters in 1909 from the university of columbia and a doctor of laws in 1910 from smith college Laws? I don't know what that means. <laughs> laws? She could just make the laws. Doctors of laws, doctor She's of so letters. <laughs> and sure. She can make new letters if she wants. We trust her. And she served as a faculty member at Wellesley College for 40 years until she retired in 1929. Yeah, she was a huge supporter of women's rights, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was, like I said, she was a suffragist. 
I don't think I said that about her specifically, but yeah, like mm-hmm. like women's suffrage. Right. She she was she a huge was activist in that. Um, whenever you, whenever I hear that word, I think about Mary Poppins and that sister song. suffragette. <laughs> yeah. She was a pacifist. She was a member of the American Civil Liberties Union. Actually, while she was working at Wellesley around the time of World War I, a colleague of hers was fired for holding pacifist views, and Mary offered her resignation. She said, hey, I have the same views as him, so if you're going to fire him, I'm going to resign. Wow. (laughs) I didn't read that. That's a good good note. Good bit. Uh, It was not accepted by the president of the board. (laughs) They're like, no, no, we're not gonna. No, you no. can't leave. Actually, probably the coolest thing she did though was in 1902. So Radcliffe, Radcliffe College, like I said, this was formerly uh, the Harvard Annex, offered her and three other women doctoral degrees because they had all completed the Harvard coursework. The three other women accepted, and Mary refused. So actually, Hugo urged her to take it. He basically said, "You know what? This is going to be the same." Like, it's going to be worth just as much as a PhD from Harvard. Mm -hmm. But that was actually one reason she ended up rejecting it. In a letter to the Radcliffe board, she wrote, I furthermore think it highly probable that the Radcliffe degree will be regarded as the practical equivalent of the Harvard degree. And now that the Radcliffe degree is offered, I doubt whether the Harvard degree will ever be open to women. Mm. So she's basically saying, like, you guys are doing this thinking you're doing something nice, but you're just making it harder for Harvard to do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. And it just became a matter of principle for her. She said, listen, I did the work at Harvard. I should be recognized for Harvard, like from Harvard for it. So that's why we're not calling her Dr. Mary White and Calkins. She I'll call her Dr. Mary. No, she didn't wanna. It's a it's a principal thing, man. Unfortunately, only a year after retiring, she died on February 26, 1930. Uh, I believe she died of cancer, but I actually couldn't find much about that. Uh, she was 66 years old. She was young. She accomplished a lot in yeah. 66 years. Yeah. Good grief. Yeah. She wore herself out, dude. Well, and then I wonder I wonder if she retired because she got sick. That could be. If it was cancer, she was probably yeah. fighting it for a little while. Yeah. Or what sometimes people say that when they retire, then they... Their because, body just kind of goes, yeah, okay. Yeah, she was such a, go- a go-getter, yeah. you know, that maybe when she retired. <laughs> the first she time in her like, life she ever she stopped, sat, and she's she like, I guess down. I'll die. Oh, I guess it's yeah, time she, to die now. I had yeah. to stop. First time yeah. she ever sat down. That's when she died. <laughs> Cause of death, sitting down. <laughs> I believe it for Mary. I like Mary. I like I want to be your man. friend. Yeah, she seems really cool. I know, I know. So, Mom, tell us about her stuff like what she she like believed Mm -hmm. and talked Mm -hmm. about her some of her research stuff you mentioned several times in different ways that that idea of self and much of her work was research built around that concept of self in psychology and i'm kind of i'm struggling with just that terminology because it seems redundant self psychology i mean isn't that what psychology is i anyway She believed that the self is, this is a quote, is a conscious and mobile force in the context of psychology. Okay. Okay. The self is a construct and we can build it however we want. Okay. Yeah. Would you please interpret this as I I go through this? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I am. I'm having a hard time. It's... It seems a lofty concept. Wrapping my brain. I think that's where the philosophical comes in for her. Oh, I didn't think of that. See, but I'm struggling because it's like, yes, it's very existential, philosophical, and yet it's very duh. Yeah. Because isn't that what psychology is? So 
So here is a direct quote from her. She identified self-psychology in her words, the study of the conscious organism focusing on the subject, the self, the object, and the relationship between the two. Wait, what's... uh, If the The subject is the self, what's the object? Anything around them. Because she was really big Anything that's not you. (laughs) Anything that's not self is the object. Self and anything else. But basically the way we kind of call that the environment. You yeah. know, when we talk sure. about um, stuff like that. that, But again, it seems like a duh because it's like, yes, yeah, psychology is the study of your brain and who you are and yourself. But then a- another part of that is how we deal with our environment and how our environment affects us. So that was another part of her. Um, and you talked about the books that she wrote. Um, in 1901, she wrote Introduction to Psychology, which seems pretty broad. That's a... <laughs> Everything you ever wanted to know. Psychology, (laughs) everything there is to know about it. And she talked about what she called self-psychology when she did her presidential address to the APA. So that was a really important shtick for her. That was her main thing. Mm -hmm. So so let me just talk about that for for a minute, about self-psychology. Please do. Because I don't understand it. Okay, Okay, talk through it. it. Let's talk through it. (laughs) Figure it out. She basically considered her idea of self-psychology as like introspection you know to, to look yeah that her, makes which, sense again is a duh and so you examine your own mental experience you examine your own mental ex- isn't that what we do in counseling anna see that's what i'm struggling with yes. that's what we do right i mean we do have to remember that this was a hundred years ago right. and things that we take for granted maybe weren't taken for granted at right. the time right so okay maybe okay let me hit you with this. Okay. Hit me, baby. So Freud, his yes. psychology was very others-based. Right. I don't think he did much inter- introspection, because if he did, he wouldn't have liked what he saw. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. But I mean, I think that turning psychology on like a, you have to do introspection instead of just looking at other people. Okay. Maybe. Okay. Well, one of the things that did come out of some of her research was kind of debunking uh, Freud's whole sexual, everything has to do with our sexuality thing. Yeah. If if you're ever like looking at a psychologist, you can probably bet that they're either like, yeah, totally the sex thing or like, I'm going to debunk that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's, it's very polarizing. So when Mary was alive, the whole idea of self-psychology was not very popular. Like mm-hmm. people ignored it. And like oh. you said, she was most known for her uh, memory stuff. Yeah. The, and that's because people kind of poo-pooed this self-psychology The thing. memory stuff was what she did d- the dissertation on, right? I, I think, think so. I think so. But Mary herself, the, here's a quote from Mary about why self-psychology was unpopular when she was talking about it. She said, quote, People um, are dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Men are ruling the world and they're dumb. No. <laughs> Um, I told men to look inside themselves and they kicked me out of college. And they said, inside? What's that? (laughs) And they said, you can't have a PhD. You do not have a penis. You may not have a PhD. That's what P and PhD stands for is penis. Penis having degree. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That was a good one, Anna. That was a top ten right there. (laughs) Can't even you do just like now. when I say penis. <laughs> <laughs> you just think it's funny. I do. It's a funny word. It's <laughs> fair. Anna's talking dirty again. <laughs> Using a very <laughs> clinical word. <laughs> 
It's all perception, baby. <laughs> it can so. be a dirty word, too. Okay. Are you ready for a serious quote from yeah, Mary now yeah, that you please. talked about penis for five minutes? Okay. Yeah. One is so constantly aware of oneself that one might understandably overlook it when reporting on a sensational experience. End of quote. Okay. <laughs> so that's, Wait a minute. Wait. That's basically saying the duh thing, I think. Okay. Say it again. Okay. One is so constantly aware of oneself that one might understandably overlook it when reporting on a sensational experience. Okay, I think I get that. Because mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of clients about like, especially when they have things like anxiety and depression, where these things can pop up in our mind and we kind of start taking them for granted as like normal or healthy because it's in our own mind. And I think that's just being that aware of what's going on in your head that you just take that as as gospel. You're like, yeah, that's just normal brain stuff right you don't question it yeah and then we don't we we discount it when we're like externalizing stuff because we think that that should be taken for granted because it's happening in our heads Hmm. okay that's good that's a good explanation she also um one of her books oh no it's an article i'm sorry an article one of her hundred papers yes in 1917 she wrote an article called the case of self against soul Hmm. Like your soul. And she talked about... That's weird. I would consider those two things more the same, the same. wouldn't you? Yeah. I think that goes back to the philosophical thing too, though, that, that you're, she had this theory that like our self struggles with our soul. That is weird, isn't it? Because <laughs> Mom I, and I are just sitting here squinting, squinting at each other. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> okay. All right, Mary, I'm not sure I'm clear on that issue. I did want to step to the side, if I could, for just a minute. Can I step to the side? Yeah, do a box step. There I go. (laughs) She stepped to the side and stepped away from her microphone. I stepped to the side, and then I thought of another thing. I need to step to the other side, and that is that during that time, psychology was very full of like, oh, what do I want to call them? Structuralists? Men? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, men who were structuralists and functionally... You know, like that's what these – they didn't focus on the self so Yeah, much. yeah. They were all like, yeah, being men. Being men. Structuralism is what? I don't know if I could describe structuralism. Can you Google that? Sure. I, I Googled APA. Now I'm Googling structuralism. Google eventually is going to be like, don't you have a master's degree? <laughs> Didn't you go to school for this stuff? <laughs> nothing a method of interpretation and analysis of aspects of human cognition behavior culture and experience that focuses on relationships of contrast between elements in a conceptual system that reflects patterns underlying a superficial diversity (laughs) (laughs) but again it's it's not self it's environment sure the structure of your environment sure is the way that i would say that instead of all that bullshit how the environment builds the self instead of us building ourselves exactly exactly you got it i'm gonna write a strongly worded letter to webster's dictionary <laughs> oh is that webster oh that's why it was a, it, it was, was a the, definition some old man named webster it was oxford languages oh okay yeah that makes sense okay this is where i wanted to step to the side for to to kind of step into 1970 that's with, forward with self <laughs> With self-psychology, because a dude, which maybe we'll someday do a whole episode on, named Heinz Kohut, Kohut, K-O-H-U-T. How would you say that? Kohut, yeah. Kohut. 
Um, he was a psychoanalyst who started his career uh, doing all Freudian stuff. But then he introduced what he titled self-psychology. Like he, and I'm thinking, did he not hear about Mary? <laughs> this was in the 1970s. He's a so. bit biter. <laughs> he, took her, he took her bit. He did take her bit. But the reason I even bring him up is he goes he goes real into the whole idea of self-love. He uses that term, self-love. Yep, just and, sounds creepier coming from but, a dude. But he, it does. It? <laughs> That's kind of sexist of us, I think. Yeah, they kind started it. <laughs> it's their fault. <laughs> it's their fault. <laughs> but self-psychology in his theory, basically completely rejects Freudian's ideology of the role of sexual drives in people, which is kind of what you said before. Either you're for it or you're against it. Yeah. But one of the things that I specifically want to mention, because we've done an episode about narcissism, Kahoot has this whole thing that I I think maybe we could do an episode on. Can we just call him Kahoot? Kahoots, yeah. (laughs) Kahoots. The way he worded it is, narcissism is a healthy part of childhood. That we actually go through a period of time where we're so, and and there are other ways well, yeah. that that's been worded, like egocentric and well, like, all that. Yeah, duh. Uh, that's episode sixty three, by the way, if you want to listen to the narcissism, narcissism one. But yeah, like I I think that is something that I guess we take it for granted, but some people don't because there's I've definitely dealt with parents that are like, my kid doesn't care about other people, and I just have to be like, yeah, they're a kid, they're a little kid. Like, you have to teach them empathy, and so kahoot. <laughs> Basically said that that we all go through that period, and this was I thought was very interesting that he said when a child does not have enough approval from the people around them, that's one of the reasons people become narcissist as an adult oh. because they didn't get the sure. they didn't fulfill that period of time where they got to be a narcissist, right? And then outgrow it, mm-hmm. and your brain develops, and people teach you, and and people say, yeah, yeah, it is all about you for a little while. Right. It should be about a little kid, well, right? Yeah. It should be all about them. Until you're like so, three and then you should get a job. Yeah. <laughs> so so let me pull Freud back in again. Because, As we do, because we're Freudian. Because we do that. He mentioned, he actually mentioned Mary's work. Uh, he made reference to her work. Freud did? Yes. When he started talking about his dream analysis, which confused me because Wait, timelines I was just going to say, what is where? What? Her findings were impressive enough to be noticed by Sigmund Freud. Oh, sure. He made reference to her work when he began his dream analysis work because she did some work on dream analysis. Holy sh... Freud died after she did. Freud outlived her. Yeah. Holy cow. She lived a long, long time ago. I mean, (laughs) let me go back. That's why I was acting like... When you were saying the thing about that's pretty normal for a woman to go to college, my brain, I'm like, no, it wasn't really normal. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I was struggling with, because it was a really long time ago when yeah. she went to college. Yeah. I'm still just, I'm my, my mind is boggled. I didn't, I didn't, ex- I didn't think, I mean, and I don't think they were like, I wouldn't call them like cohorts because no, no, they no, no, no. were definitely different circles, but and, it, and, it, it and makes she sense. she actually kind of disagreed with his idea about yeah. the sexual yeah. stuff. I think, well, I think that's where the timeline is getting us confused because I think Freud lived longer because he was meaner and I think mean people live longer. <laughs> Only the but, good guy, yeah. <laughs> but like, I, I think that his idea, like his ideas came to prominence before she was in the field. Like, I think his professional work came He was first. a man and he they was, were listening. He man, Although yes. he struggled with people listening to him too. Well, yeah, because so we've cause, talked about that. Yeah, because he was Jewish. Episode one. Yeah. Even if you have a penis, sometimes other things <laughs> get in the way. When Mary had um, her work with Sanford, 
that -hmm. you were talking Mm -hmm. about. Um, When she was being tutored by Sanford, that's when she was given the opportunity to do a research project on dreams. And we've made jokes before about how um, some of the the people in psychology that we've talked about use their own children for research or use themselves (laughs) for, you know. So that's what Mary did. Of course. (laughs) Mary, Mary and Sanford, they did their dream research on themselves. I was going to say, I didn't think, I didn't find anything about Mary having a relationship or kids. I think she just focused on her career. I think she just career. worked, yeah. She recorded 205 of her own dreams, and Sanford recorded 170. What they would do was <laughs> they would wake themselves up at different times in the night, like with an alarm clock, and then immediately they would write down what they were dreaming about. That words me out, because I definitely, like, I feel like when I wake up abruptly, I don't remember my dreams as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Now that you say it that way, I mean, a lot of times I wake up right at the end of a dream or I wake uh-huh. up out of a dream and then I remember. But if I go back to sleep, sometimes I forget. Yeah. I've been having some weird dreams, but that's a whole separate subject. <laughs> okay. Also, we did episodes about dreams. Yes. Seven and eight. Those were some of my favorites, actually. We got a little sloshed on those. <laughs> we need to get sloshed. <laughs> I know. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a while since we've been sloshed. So each morning they would sit down with their records and they would, whether they were just little, no big deal kind of dreams or big, huge dreams. Mary, would, this just this just says dog. Mary, <laughs> boring. This just says Mary. dreamt about a dog. <laughs> and basically, she kind of basically said, eh, when we dream, it's just basically stuff we've done during the day. And remember we've talked about, and I think in those dream episodes we talked about this, that my mom, your mama, used to say that what our dreams were was our brain is filing away things that happen. Like a yeah. little, And I have always had this picture as a little kid because that's the way she described it to me, that I have a, in my brain all these little, little index cabinets. cards. Yeah. yeah. And so during the, during the night, your brain is like filing those things away. And sometimes, whoops, a whole bunch of them fly out. And that's yeah. how you dream about your boss and your dog. And-, and that is like, I've also been having weird dreams, but I... I have been able to kind of pull back and think about it and be, and be like, oh, I got that because I was reading this earlier in the day and I got that because I watched this movie and I got this because I talked right. to this person right. about that. Like if you if you look at it and sometimes it's kind of tenuous connections because our dreams distort things. But if you look hard enough, you can be like, oh, yeah, I think I know why I was probably dreaming that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, but something that I think is kind of confusing is depending on who you read – the idea of your dreams have deeper me. And I know that sometimes in counseling, I have people talk to me about their dreams. I mean, they bring it up. You know, they've been having weird dreams mm-hmm. and we talk about them and why, you know, that's an anxiety dream. And Right. Um, oh, my God. I've been having such bad anxiety dreams yeah, lately. Oh, I my know. gosh. Uh, but, like, I think what I would look at more for dreams, this seems like a side note as well, but – I feel like if a client was talking to me about a dream, it wouldn't be that you dreamed about it. It would be that you remember it and you're dwelling on it. Mm. And that like you find it significant enough to bring up mm-hmm. and be like, it's really bothering me that I dreamt about that or whatever. Right. Because you probably dream about that, whatever you dreamed about, more often than you think. But it was significant to mm-hmm. them. So she basically was saying that dreams don't have a big, deep, hidden meaning. They're pretty... So this is interesting. What did Freud say about that? Well, see, because he did. I mean, like his he had like a whole dream analysis shtick. That was one of his big things. Right. And it's weird because she even, there's another quote from her where she said uh, that Freudians, the people that were, she didn't say it that the way. The Freudians. The Freudians at the time were, quote, superficially concerned with the manifest content of dreams. L- Leighton. Leighton. Yeah. 
Yeah. Manifest is what we dream about, and the latent is what Freudians well, say is, is... superficially concerned. So they didn't care that much about the manifest. They cared about oh. the latent. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That she was saying, there's not a lot there that's latent. It's not really a big hidden message. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, you dreamed you stepped in dog poo because <laughs> you did that last week, you know? Yeah. It's not some deep meaning about dog poo. It's not, I should quit my job. It's like, <laughs> no, you just stepped in dog poo. <laughs> Although some days at your job feels like <laughs> stepping in dog poo. Okay, and then the last thing I would say about Mary's work is the idea of the memory because she also did her research where, as Anna said, it's called paired association technique for her doctoral dissertation. And, and basically, very simplified, she would present a series of numbers for people to remember. And when she paired the numbers with colors, it made them easier to remember. They showed better memory when the numbers were associated with a color. So she was stu- studying mnemonic device? Well, that's not really a mnemonic device. But it's, but it's the same theory. Yeah. That when you pair something Yeah, you strengthen with something, the association. Right, right. Pair something with something that's easier for your brain to click on to, mm-hmm. basically. Or so, so like when you memorize a song that has the states and capitals. Sure. You're pairing it with something. But that was the doctor toral dissertation that those people said whoever that was that said it was the most brilliant Mm -hmm. one that harvard had ever seen or whatever it doesn't seem like that big of a deal but (laughs) Uh, maybe it was just the work itself right like she put a lot of work into it and and it was what she was really liking to do was that research yeah and again at the time it may have been pretty revolutionary absolutely (gasps) sorry side note no no more side notes (laughs) You can do another side note if you want. Well, I read that even though the paired associates technique is is what we kind of, well, we don't obviously remember Calkins very well because you and I both were kind of like, who is that again? Okay. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what she's recognized for her biggest contribution. It, it's not the self thing. It's, it's memory. It's this, yeah. And no one remembers her. However. Ironic. Well, and also she didn't think it was that. That big of a <laughs> she, she was way was, more into the self thing. Right. This was not what she thought was the most important thing that she did right so it's like one of those assignments where you just like do it and then the professor was like oh this is really good it's not really good actually well and i can't remember who it was that we talked about that wanted to do a paper on on one thing and and their professor whatever said no i want you to do it on this was it pavlov it was one of the people who did some research well that's kind of what happened with mary too while she was studying with William James, she first suggested that she wanted to do a study, a research on attention, on people being able to focus and stay, uh, keep their attention on something. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said that that was uh, too many people had worked on that. And so he's the one who said, you you know, you got to think of something else. And so just very randomly, she came up with the association idea. Hmm. I was like, eh, I'll do this then. Okay. <laughs> so she definitely wasn't into it. Right. She, like, she didn't care like, about it. I've always wanted to study this association yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. She kind of just got thrown into it. Honestly, when I think about Mary, I think these these things about psychology are cool and everything. I don't think they're like groundbreaking I think what's more groundbreaking is just her life as a woman yeah. in that time and what she did as what she accomplished as a woman yeah. is amazing. And the fact that she spoke out, you know, for women's rights and as you said during the Right. She was a what's suffrage suffrage. They called it suffragist, but I've Suffer- always heard suffragette. Suffragette. 
in a time when it wasn't yet okay. cool to be a, a woman's right person, she was. And um, so that's, I think, why I admire her. Well, and I think she is more of a typical feminist than I think people consider feminists. Like, I think feminism has become this thing that it's not, where you hear, it's like a dirty word. It's got negative connotation. It does. And Mm. that's really sad because, like, we should all be feminists. It's just, hey, you know, my gender should not dictate what i can or can't do right that's all it is and that goes for men and women like feminists fight for men men's rights too like like sexual assault victims and stuff like that but like the way she handled her feminism was like really inspiring because like you said she was pretty positive and she she really could have like dragged harvard through the mud in her autobiography and been like wow they're really backwards and they're Mm -hmm. all this and this and this but but she instead chose to lift up the people that were good to her and that and that helped her and that and then all this stuff and and she really did seem to respect them a lot right and and i think that she really looked up to them and this is probably a weird thing to say but she must have been a pretty good person to get along with you know that all those different people were pulling for her mm-hmm. you know they wanted her to succeed and yeah i mean i think she was probably yeah i don't know about I didn't really see much about her personality. You it was know, all just her performance, though. I did, and that's another thing. I could not find anything like about if she was ever married or had any kids or anything. I really it was like I couldn't she, find I don't any think she personal was. stuff. Well, I especially don't think she was because her parents were listed as White and Culkins. Like that oh, was their surname. Okay. okay. So well, that makes sense. Then. Yeah. So I think that was especially just, in that day, she would have. Mm-hmm. Okay. What do we leave out? I don't know, man. I like her, Mary. We like you. Thanks for all you did. Thanks, Mayor. Thanks, Mayor. Can we call you Mayor? Can we call you Mayor? Thanks, Mayor, for setting the bar really high for the Yeah, no kidding, right? (laughs) Can I go back to the APA as we end? Sure. (laughs) Cycle back. Because I I feel like I should read this little blurb about what the APA does. (laughs) To to set the record straight. Just so we are clear that we know what the hell. We know what it is. (laughs) Because I found this online, so I know what it is now. Okay. No, no it all rings a bell now. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's an organization that's mostly about, like, education and research. Yes. To educate the public about, the men- about mental health behavior and psychology's scientific basis. They publish peer-reviewed journals and books and other products, and that's where the APA-style stuff comes in. Mm-hmm. They identify and advocate for key federal policies and legislation. That's a big thing. Um, They have lots of boards and committees and all that stuff to try to improve the whole, the world knowing about psychology, basically. Yeah. It's about education. Awareness, yeah. Public education and awareness is their big thing. So, yeah. So, CAPA, we know what you do. We know, but I have to say that I don't think there is... Important as the ACA. <laughs> well, we uh, focus for on not, the ACA. Not for us, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. ACA is. Because we are not. The APA is the American Psychiatric Association. We are not psychiatrists. We are counselors. Right, right. So we focus more on the ACA, which is the American Counseling Association. You have to have a doctorate to be a member of the APA. Yes. So that's on us yet. So Mary yet. wouldn't have been. Oh. And I won't be works. either because I'm never doing that. <laughs> Never say never. Ask Mary. You can really tell what mom and I are about because when I said yet early in the episode, it was about doing cocaine. And when she said yet, it was about getting a PhD. (laughs) Both things I don't think we'll ever do in our life.
That's good. This is good that we're not doing cocaine. I don't know about the other thing. Honestly, I would rather do cocaine than get a PhD. (laughs) Please don't. Please don't. As your mother, I'm asking you, please don't do cocaine. I don't want to do either. I don't care that Freud did it. I know that we (laughs) love Freud. A little bit of nose candy. We do not want to be that much like Freud. That was not a good thing. I wouldn't no. be much like Freud no, anyway. No, there's not a whole lot we want to do. It's not, not really an aspirational figure yeah. for yeah. us. I agree. I agree. I've kind of missed doing these things with you, Anna. Uh, yeah, this is part of our self-care. I We've know. We've been ignoring it. I know. That's probably I've been to, feeling off balance lately. We need to get back on our self-care right. stuff. I hope this has been self-care for people listening. Yes. I know. I always get caught up with, you know, that somebody might listen to this episode like in three years. At a different time, yeah. sure. So Mom's while very, we're, very while, weirded out by I that. know. It's a whole, you know, it's when you're thing. in radio, it's, it's a current. whole thing. <laughs> so if you're listening to this episode <laughs> and COVID pandemic is over, first of all, praise the Lord. First of all, wow, what's it like in 2070? <laughs> Do they still listen to podcasts? Do they have jetpacks? <laughs> do they have flying cars? Or do you have hoverboards? Have hoverboards. Have hoverboards. The real ones. Yeah. Like they did in Back to the Future. Right. Not with wheels not those that they call them. they call hoverboards. They- <laughs> that are not really. <laughs> I just want one of those hovering cars that yeah. we've been told we were going to get. When I, I was know. a kid, they said they'd have them by now. I know. 2000 was the year. It came and went, baby. We don't even have self-driving cars yet. Sort of. Those, yeah, but they crash. No, <laughs> yeah, not good ones. So my point was going to be <laughs> sure um, that we do, we before we started recording, we were talking about that some of our clients are being especially affected by the pandemic. And um, where we live, things are kind of going backwards and closing down again Yeah, after having some time of being more open. So we do want to encourage you to do self-care and to reach out to a mental health care professional yeah a lot of uh insurance companies and stuff are doing telehealth like offering now so Mm -hmm. whereas usually for some stupid reason they wouldn't cover telehealth now they are covering it so if that's something that's been holding you back in the past then now is a good time to look for a counselor and you might be thinking oh it's not really affecting me um, but it, it really, it affects all of us just in, in sometimes we, we're not sure what that is that's affecting us. So um, this is a pretty big deal. Yeah, if you've been feeling stressed, I, I've had so many people sit on my couch and go, I'm just so stressed and I don't know why. And I'm mm-hmm. just like, the Hello. world's on fire. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the isolation, the people who are trying to stay quarantined for whatever reasons, mm-hmm. that isolation is starting to kick in for a lot of people yeah. too. So be aware that you need to reach out to people. It's not going to be in the same way that you have traditionally. Right. But search out ways to reach out and to connect with people because yeah. we all need that. Yeah, Even it's going to feel need that. like a Band-Aid. Like if you if you want that social connection and all you can do is, you know, Zoom. Ha- yeah, have, <laughs> have a video chat with someone. Like that's not going to feel the same, but it's going to help a little bit. And at this point, we just kind of have to focus on getting through. Right, right. This too shall pass, we always say. Yeah. This too shall pass. Okay. May I thank our listeners? Do it. Listeners, we so appreciate you being with us. And that's, we care about you and we want you to take care of yourself. And that's why we throw those little footnotes in. We love you. That's why we hugged you. We do. We hugged Lily. We hugged Lily. And then we hugged everyone. Lily the first, but then we hugged everybody. So um, please know that you are appreciated and we hope that you will join us the next time for Freudian Sips. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. Again, sorry for the weird little hiatus we took, but hey, we're back. We're better than ever. We're not better than ever. We are back. (laughs) 
We, <laughs> we need to start drinking more. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> we'll Just in general, time. honestly. Uh, <laughs> you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're Freudian Sips Pod on everything, as well as our site, FreudianSipsPod.com. Um, I'm also going to throw out here, I'll cut it out if I end up not doing it later, but I am going to be starting a YouTube channel. Uh, so if you are interested in my content... I will probably be posting a link to that on the Freudian Sips like Twitter and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, it's just a thing I've kind of been wanting to do for a while, and I'm—I I don't know—I just—I just want to talk more. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know because the isolation is getting to Anna, so she wants to. <laughs> yeah, really. She's uh, an actress at heart, so yeah, I'm a performer. I am misses, a performer. She's a thesbian. She's having a hard time not being on stage <laughs> during this pandemic. That's it. Yeah. If you I don't know who she gets that from. <laughs> Couldn't be you. <laughs> Couldn't possibly. So you can find us on social. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can email us, freudiansipspod at gmail.com. Or uh, you can go to our site. We have kind of an email submission form on there, too. We are on Patreon if you want to support the show or Freudian Sips Pod on there. Please remember, wherever you can, to leave us a nice rating and review. It's been a little while since we got a new review. It would be really nice to read one of those on the show. If anyone is listening and they haven't reviewed us, it would be very heartwarming for us to get one. Warm our hearts. Our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. (laughs) 